Hey everyone, this is Dan the Man for Dark Charm Media, and we would like to wish everyone a very happy, safe, and warm holiday season. Here's Noxo, Episode 3. Baltimore, Maryland. Havoc. Chaos in the streets. This is Noxo. Case Files of Joshua Chambers. A crime drama set in the heinous world of the Dark Charm universe. I stared death in its face, and I blanched. All the color drained out of my face as I looked at this teenage boy as he addressed me. My pistol shook in my hands in fear. He didn't look out of the ordinary, but there were features about him that unnerved me. His skin was porcelain white, even more so than the other kids with vitamin D deficiencies, but it looked majestic, even beautiful on him. Don't be afraid. Back to the door, closing it behind me. His next words didn't make any difference to me. I won't hurt you. Don't be afraid. Isn't that what all the angels said in the Bible when they talked to people? Why would I be any different? What are you? What do you think I am? He sat down on the back of the couch and folded his arms. I avoided that question like the plague. I have wards on this house. How were you able to get in? Thanks to Calliope, I was able to ward my home from these creatures, but this boy was full of surprises. When you called for me, when you spoke my name, that changed the rules on your ward and place. Besides, no matter how hard you try, you cannot ward against death. Ramael. I called his name and he came. I felt like I was suckered into it by David Bates. Good one, asshole. I put my pistol down, and I'm still petrified of the enigmatic being standing before me. He looked like any other teenager, but deep down the vibe of death exuded through every pore. This was no teenager, as he had to be as old as creation or time itself. I had to ask, so are you death incarnate? The boy shook his head. It is not that simple. I am a facet of death, but I am not death in its purest form. So which one are you? Are you the one that's been saving people, or are you the one killing everyone? My motives are my own. But they're pure. There is someone out there who is tainting my reputation. Do you know what you are up against? Did the Brothers Keepers explain to you fully the life you now lead? They didn't explain much to me. In fact, they recruited me blindly. My thoughts raced in my head as the enigmatic boy nodded his head as if he knew what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what I thought. He walked to my door as if he were about to leave. Find the killer and you find death. Your higher-ups will already have taken precautions on this matter, as they don't want any allusion to things that go bump in the night. Especially angels. Deep down, I knew he was right. He was going to be right, and I will go into my office tomorrow morning, and I'll have a letter from the colonel, or worse, the deputy commissioner or commissioner. I can feel it in the very fiber of my being. I just didn't want Vern Garvey to show up again, but I'm certain he will. It was as if he could sense the worry in this. Captain, 
I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, because you are a man of integrity. Please, let me handle this imposter. There's not much a Baltimore City Police Captain can do against a potentially fallen angel. I can do something, goddammit. Instead of chastising me for my language like I thought he would do, he thought to himself. You're right. I do have something I need help with. He went into his coat pocket on the inside breast and handed me an envelope. It had a weird smell, several dark reddish-brown fingerprint spots on it, and a grayed tone, as if it was a little old. What's this? I asked with my heart still jumping in my chest. He looked down at it. It's a letter that needs to be read, and justice for the person who needs it. Trust me, their file is probably buried in BPD as well, but I know that you can find it with due diligence. Whoever had this covered up needs to be taken down several pegs. You're the man to do it. And with that, he opened my door and walked out of my apartment. The fear, the anxiety, now I know why Karen decided to stop. As my heart finally caught up to my adrenaline, I slid down the wall and sat on the door. I wanted to crawl into the fetal position. The funny thing was, I didn't even see him in his true form, and he still frightened me straight to my core. A cold sweat came from my brow. I looked down at the envelope and opened it. It wasn't sealed, but the lip of the envelope was tucked into the letter. I opened the letter and began to read it. Dear Miranda, I know what you've heard about me, and you probably don't want to hear from me right now, but you do not know the truth. The media is either in on it, or they're oblivious. I'm not a murderer. The person they say I killed wasn't even alive. And I'm not even sure it was human. A month ago, you remember that I had that shipment to Washington, D.C. that they paid me double for? The one that they paid really well in advance? Hell, it paid for a really good Christmas. Looking back on it, I should have just left that thing alone. I went to inspect the shipment. It was as suspicious of the small was coming from the back. My foreman said it was the trailer originally carried fish or something. I didn't inspect the car going further than the main locks. I was told never to open those doors. Normally I would listen to them, but something deep down told me to worry. The first night I had the little one slept in the usual motel I go into in Lexington. Normally I get no problems, but after I got off the phone with you, when I checked in, I started to hear strange sounds coming from inside the fucking trailer. I, I left the room and started to look around. I thought that a drifter might have been trying to sneak into the trailer to sleep or something. But when I got there, the locks were still activated and there was no sign of anyone. The sounds stopped, so after my initial check, I just went back inside and went to sleep. The next morning, I got a call from dispatch. They said that they needed the shipment by 2 a.m. So off because the company that requests the shipment usually doesn't open until 6 a.m. I told dispatch I was on my way and I drove all day to get to D.C. by midnight with two hours to spare. When I got there, CEO of the company was there. Yes, him, Mr. Kudoviste, the man they said I killed. He inspected the shipment personally as I went to grab a cup of coffee. When I got back, 
I dropped my coffee on the ground as I saw what I was actually hauling. There were people. People! And crates inside the trailer, Miranda. The horror that was inside that trailer. One must have got out as, as the Kudo Viste's face twisted into this, into this monster. He was feeding on them. Now I knew too much, and I couldn't just let that happen. The closest thing I could find was a broken pallet, and I jammed a piece of sharp wood into the CEO's heart. But it was too late for the woman that got out of the crate. She died before she hit the floor, drained of all of her blood. I had to run, leaving the others behind. Now they're gone. I can't tell you exactly where I am. But I'll send you another letter when I, when if I can. Just, just know that I, I never stop loving you. Love, Josh Pyler. Damn. I looked to see if there was anything else inside the envelope, but it was of no avail. I heard the sounds of the door opening to the outside and got worried. Karen walked through the door with the baby in her arms. She saw me on the floor. Baby, why are you on the floor? Why does it smell like cordite in here? Did you fire your gun? I couldn't even look into her eye as I got up off the floor swiftly and ran to her computer. Joshua, what is going on? She yelled at me as I entered the study. The baby, who was fast asleep, started to wail. I didn't care, as I waited for the computer to boot. Karen walked into the room and said, Joshua, what the fuck is going on? I turned to her and looked her dead in the face. Death visited me today and I have a mission. I opened my search engine and typed in the name Kudaviste. It brought me up to a company called Praxis Incorporated. Warren Kudaviste Jr. was the CEO of the company and took over the business after his father's death in 1975, but Warren Kudaviste Sr. was the founder of the company and the original CEO. The media pages revealed that he was murdered by Joshua Hollander, originally from Elkton, Maryland. Hollander ran from the law for seven years, before he was caught in Anchorage, Alaska, and extradited back to Maryland. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison, but ended up only serving two as he was mysteriously killed in prison. You're doing something for her, aren't you? She asked as the baby suckled her. I bowed my head. If you knew that answer, what would you do with it? Josh... I can't do that anymore. If you have to, though, I totally understand, but for Milo's sake, I cannot participate in that anymore. I swiveled the chair toward her. I know. But it wasn't Matranga who asked to follow up on this. It was something else. Someone else. Is that why you discharged three slugs from your weapon and there's no blood on the floor? Karen even though a mother was still a detective at heart. Yes. She shook her head and walked out of the room. Don't say anything else. Just continue what you're doing. I turned my attention back to the screen, still researching Kuda Viste, and I saw on the next line of the search engine something that chilled me to the bone. Kuda Viste means monster in Croatian, I wondered aloud. Joshua got caught in a world of darkness, and that ended up killing him. But who was Miranda? I couldn't obviously ask Joshua Highlander, now could I? I could only go back to the precinct in the morning 
and see if I can dig up anything on her or her whereabouts. As always, I hate when I'm right. As soon as I walked into the office, I had a nice email stating that my unit was no longer in charge of the 8x10 club case, and that a special task force had been put in place to get the case closed properly. If that wasn't a bunch of bullshit, I don't know what was. My detectives that were on the case, Cole Jackson and Vernon Slade, walked into my office. What the hell happened? I knew what was going on, but I could do nothing about it. They want their men on this, not us. But we put in the manpower, Cap! There's nothing I can do about this, but... I motioned to them to shut my door and come inside, but to be quiet. I pulled out a notepad and a pen and started writing. Listen carefully and remain silent. They looked at each other and then back to me, nodding their heads. I knew these two were smart. I wrote more stuff down. This office is probably bugged. I need you to look up another case that they probably won't authorize, but you need to do it off of the radar. Can you do it? Before I stopped writing, they both were nodding their heads in agreement. I wrote down the information for Joshua Highlander, his death year, and the information I knew about Practice Inc. I handed it to them and announced, Call me on my cell when you find out anything. They got up out of their chairs and left my office. If I focus the attention of IAB on me in regards to this, then the other detectives could get some real dirt. I pulled up the database on our computer. I was surprised to find that we had this case on file, as this was really old. The case was in Donald Permalo's time as police commissioner, so he might have had something to do with this case. But this would have been totally out of Permalo's warehouse. He was a staunch and strict soldier due to his time in the Korean War, so nothing like this would have come under his notice. It had to be someone else who buried the Joshua Highlander case. But it wasn't buried. Not at all. And I marveled at how much information I actually got from the file. There was nothing about Warren Cotevaste, but medical records, and they looked like they were inconclusive except for the date of death and cause. But there was no mention of anyone named Miranda. Then I stumbled upon a wedding announcement earlier in the year before Kudaviste's death that made me wonder. Warren Kudaviste Sr. is pleased to announce the nuptials of Warren Kudaviste Jr. and Miranda Cunningham on the third day of March 1974 at Martin's West at 6 p.m. Could this be the Miranda in the letter? Apparently, upon further inspection, she worked for Praxis Incorporated as a marketing director. I think I needed to talk to this woman on my own. There were many women named Miranda, so maybe this wasn't her. My usual day continued as normal, and then I got a phone call from Cole Jackson before I was leaving for the night. Hey, Kev. You heard from Vernon? Yeah, we split up, and uh, he, uh, we were looking for information. He never got back to me. Usually. I didn't mind if my detectives didn't check in, but in this case it worried me. I haven't heard from him at all. Do you know where he went? He said to me that he was investigating a lead he found at a nursing home to a woman named Miranda Indigo. He found out she had dated Joshua Highlander in high school. He thought there might be a connection. I went to the warehouse where the incident took place, 
It was closed down years ago when the Praxis factory went to another location. Turns out a woman named Randy Cunningham worked in the satellite office in Kentucky. I know. I found out she's now married to the CEO of the company and son of the deceased. Do you think this is her cap? I need to run some leads, and I will set up to meet with Miranda Cudaviste in person. In the meantime, keep an eye out for your partner, and I'll see you in the morning. I hung up the phone, and worry crept in. What if something happened to Slade? I couldn't deal with going home and knowing that one of the best detectives in my unit never came home. I picked up the receiver and called Karen. I explained to her what was going on, and without hesitation, she gave me her blessings to be home late. That was the benefits of dating and marrying someone in the force. I tried to call Slade myself, which led me to his voicemail. I left a message for him to call me back. I took this time to get my things together and to drive. Without being told what nursing home to go to, I went to Charleston Senior Living first, as it was the more popular one. Not only was no one named Miranda there, Slade wasn't either. I pulled up a list of retirement or nursing homes in the area on my phone. If I had to go and see each of these one by one, I'd do it. I didn't have to, unfortunately, as my cell phone rang. I got word from police security from St. Joseph's Nursing Home in Catonsville that they found the mutilated body of poor Vernon Slade in a trash compactor nearby. The only thing they had to identify the body was his badge, which was mangled but still readable. I went there to find out what happened to my detective. In the cast you heard Dan McMcCloskey, Justin Gregory, Vern Burfel, Emily McAnulty, Miguel Pedroza and Robert Hunter. Effects and music by Zapsplat.com. Shot in the Dark by Ozzy Osbourne. Copyright 2021 Dark Char Media. All rights reserved.